You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Wonka. I've spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can say you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate, and you can't sell chocolate without a shop. No daydreaming. What are we gonna do, Willie? Huh. Huh? Huh. A double hop. Get the pencil and paper. Uh-huh. I got an idea. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Wonka, and the story is as follows. The story of how Willy Wonka goes from a young adult selling chocolate in a small shop to an eccentric genius known all over the world. The film is starring Timothée Chalamet, Kyle Lane, Keegan-Michael Key, Patterson Joseph, Matt Lucas, Matthew Bainton, Sally Hawkins, Rowan Atkinson, Jim Carter, Tom Davis, Olivia Coleman, and Hugh Grant. It is written and directed by Paul King and co-written by Simon Farnaby. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Nadia Dalamante. Hi, everyone. How many chocolate puns do you think we can squeeze into this review? Oh, you'll do your best. I know that for sure. (laughs) Maybe my worst. We'll see. Uh, But this movie is very interesting for a number of reasons, I think. Uh, One, it's the follow-up film from Paul King uh, after the success of the Paddington movies, which garnered so many fans to the point that it really has turned Paul King into a household name at this point. Um, It really, I think, surprised me just to discover like how beloved those two films really, really are so much so that he's got now like all of this built in uh, cachet and goodwill uh, with the filmmaking community. So when it was announced that this property uh, by Roald Dahl was going to be revisited and it was going to center on the backstory origin, his early days. So, the film from 1971, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, has an iconic performance at its center here from Gene Wilder. Uh, and that's pretty much the performance of this character that everyone seems to know and love. Then there was a Tim Burton, Johnny Depp version in 2005, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which, I don't know, it's got some fans out there, but for the most part, it just seems like that that's not one that tends to resonate with people. So here we are now with Timothy Chalamet at the height of his popularity, or maybe it's just continuing to keep growing, who knows. Uh, But following his Oscar nomination for Call Me By Your Name, a nice little run uh, with uh, films directed by Greta Gerwig, starring in Dune, of course. He now has this big studio film with Warner Brothers uh, that's really putting him outside of his comfort zone, I would argue, and showing us a uh, new range that we haven't previously seen from the young actor before as he takes on this iconic character. What do we think of the pairing between Paul King and Chalamet? What do we think of the cast? What do we think of the story? What do we think of the visuals? We're going to go into it now. Nadia, what did you think of Wonka? Well, I I went into this movie expecting to enjoy it. It is directed by Paul King, and I absolutely love the Paddington movies. They're 
on my list of go-to comfort movies. And I think there is a whimsical energy about those movies that can be found to an extent in Wonka. It's this giddy, delightful story about hopes and dreams and retaining your sense of of, um, childlike wonder in a world that is full of greed. As an origin story about the character Willy Wonka, I think King's Direction really does the work in putting an individual stamp on a familiar character and the world that he inhabits. And I think his collaboration with Timothy Chalamet, who is also very committed to doing his own thing as Wonka, stands out. I think there's a warmth and a love to the approach of the character before creating the Chocolate Factory that I think speaks to one of the movie's strengths thematically of finding this finding the steam that keeps Wonka's imagination going and focusing on the relationship with his mother, not giving up on his dreams. Even if that aspect of the movie isn't really fleshed out, I think the movie doesn't lose sight of it at the same time, which makes it resonate for me on that level. I have to say I was a little worried during the first half of the movie. There was, I just wasn't really gelling with the energy and the lack of mystery with introducing Wonka. But over time, once I started getting moments of insight into the character and what he was holding on to and what his motivations were, the movie was starting to win me over. And I, and I think it is largely due to Timothy Chalamet's energy. I, I really enjoyed his work a lot in this, even the more awkward moments where it feels like he's still kind of discovering the character. It, it's a really, really different role for him. As you mentioned earlier, Matt, it, it kind of takes a little bit to adjust in, in a sense. But I think he is the key to why the movie holds together. I think there's a lightness and a whimsical energy to his performance. He has this kind of childlike presence that it clearly emerges from his longing to feel the way he did when he was a kid and that sense of discovery. He, I think he just radiates this eccentricity and and warmth in the movie that lends itself pretty well to Paul King's silly energy about it. I, I do like that it was a full-blown musical. A lot of the songs and the performance sequences were enjoyable and delightful to watch. Narratively, I think there's a lot going on, maybe a little too much, and the story be- can become a little contrived. Some plot lines that don't really land anywhere, some character work that felt a little unnecessary. So there are elements about Wonka that I wasn't really on board with, and the movie sometimes kept me too much at arm's length to really feel transported in the world building and the adventure. But there are, I think there are elements that I, to find delight in. And I think a lot of that comes from the collaboration between King and Chalamet in creating this version of Wonka that feels more individual to their visions. Okay. All right. Let's hear next now from Josh Parham. Josh, was it sweet and delicious enough for you? (laughs) Well, first of all, let me actually come out as a defender of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and put that target on my back. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But when it comes to this movie, I I do admit that going into it, I had a lot of reservations because, yes, I do love Paul King. I am part of the cult of Paddington, too. I I am a member of that. But uh, the trailers weren't really wowing me too much. And it's like yet another origin kind of 
story of Willy Wonka going back to that well. I wasn't sure if we're really going to have a good time with it. But, you know, as I said, I wanted to trust Paul King. And I think at the end of the day, what I got was a movie that I did overall enjoy. Um, I don't think it reaches the heights of like what we usually love about those Paddington movies. I do think that there is a little bit of a, of an emotional core that didn't quite impact me that much. I know the movie kind of wants to go for it a little bit, but I didn't really feel it too much myself. And, and for that, it didn't really have too much power in terms of my own connection to it. But at the same time, I thought it was very charming. I thought it was very delightful in a lot of sequences. I think Chalamet feels like somebody that you are either going to be really on board with or not. It, like his personality and his ticks of this character, I think you are either going to be charmed by or you're just going to be resistant to. I agree with Nadia that I think it takes a little time to work up to it. And in the beginning, it is a little awkward trying to find that that perfect rhythm, but I think he eventually gets there. And I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorite performances from Chalamet, but I think that he does a good enough job in the role with, with the tone that this movie is going for. I also agree that the story is not perfect. And I think when it skews more heavily into referencing the 1971 film is when I really didn't like it. And more specifically the Hugh Grant Oompa Loompa, I would say that, but I did find myself enjoying it at the end of the day. I, I thought that it was a very sweet, nice movie that maybe won't have too much of a lasting impact with me, but for the moment and what it's going for, yeah, it was it was pretty delightful. Okay, so like all of you, love the Paddington movies. They're both really fantastic, and Paul King, I think, is a visual genius in the way that he constructs these pieces of family entertainment. And that's what I think Wonka ultimately is for me, is it's a nice piece of family wholesome entertainment. I could show this to kids, I could show this to anyone during the holidays, and I can confidently say, you may not think it's a great movie, you may not say it's one of the best of the year, but for the feelings that you wanted to evoke within you during the holidays especially, it gets the job done. And I think a large reason for that is because of what Paul King brings to the film. To me, this movie would not be successful if it did not have him as a director communicating his vision so clearly to all members of production, all the cast members. Everyone is so unified in what the overall tone of this movie is that no one ever feels, to me, out of place with that said, I do think that Timothy Chalamet struggles at times with this film's sometimes silly tone. He's admirably striving to achieve something that we haven't seen him do before. You know, he's singing, he's dancing, he's got these personality quirks, he's doing a bit of physical comedy. But yet, all I can still see is I still see this brooding, serious actor, <laughs> you know? And it's it's tough for me to buy him as Wonka. I think he's definitely trying, and I admire that there is effort being put into this. I really do. And I don't think it's a bad performance per se, but for some reason, like when I saw him in scenes, especially like opposite someone like Olivia Coleman, 
I just kept thinking to myself, man, like he's out of his element compared to her. She like, like she's making him look worse. Um, and people will range in this. OK, like th- this is definitely going to be different. Some people, like you said, Josh, will like it. Some people will not feel it was right. Um, and I remember when the trailers did come out, that was my worry, too, was, oh, no, like, what is this performance and what are some of these line readings and is this going to work? And I think it works because of Paul King, not because of Timothy Chalamet, which goes against what you were saying before, Nadia, a little bit, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what is it about Chalamet that works for you, if I may? Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Yeah, well, I I just think that he, well, obviously for me, when I first, one of the reasons why it took me a little while to gel with the movie, I have to admit was him, but I think it was more for me just not being used to seeing him in a role where he's not kind of emotionally brooding and has this inner turmoil with characters. He's there's a lightness to the character that I'm just not used to seeing him in. And I think that was the reason that I felt a little, Oh, this is, this is kind of different. Yeah. But what worked for, for his performance with me was just the way that he captures that lightness. Like he just, he doesn't have that, that darkness in him that you usually see in a lot of his characters. But at the same time though, he is also connected to the emotional core of the story and he sells those moments too. But I think that he just, his youthful energy that he has and the spirit that he has as an actor and as a person generally, I think it lends itself to what King was going for with the vision of this interpretation of Wonga. Yeah, and I want to be clear. I don't think he's necessarily bad here um, yeah. because, you know, even like when he's doing uh, the singing in the very beginning, I was like, OK, like you're an average singer. You're not like a song and dance man from Broadway that's going to like blow us away. But he can carry a tune and he does a pretty, like I said, admirable job overall. But I think, like I said, I think the problem is when I, when you put him up against Keegan-Michael Key or Olivia Coleman or a few others in this movie, they're all, I think, just running circles around him when it comes to that lightness, that silliness. He fares a little bit better when he's opposite um, Kelly Lane, who plays uh, Noodle in this. I think they actually make a really good pairing together, but that's mostly also because she's not operating in that same register as the others are. I mean, obviously, like I said before... Everyone's playing their roles exactly as Paul King needs them to, to fit the story. But I think in his scenes opposite her, that's when his attempts then to come across as slapstick or still having that quirkiness to his performance. That's when it like really, really stands out to me in contrast opposite her. And like I said, opposite some of these other performers, it's like 
I just think they have more experience with it and uh, inadvertently make him look not bad, but just but I'll just say lesser than. Well, all those other characters do sort of feel like they get the sense of being in a role doll adaptation by Paul King a little bit more than him. I, I do agree with that. And I don't know, maybe that's just down to them being British. <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. But I, yeah, I do think that there are times when you can sense that the more overt goofiness that I think Chalamet has always really wanted to indulge in. It's just, that's not the roles that we normally see him play. Um, it just feels like that's a, an energy that he always has had within him, but just never really showcases all that much. Yeah, I don't know if it's fully effective on screen, uh, you know, consistently all the way through. But I think there are moments, and I think you're right that those um, some of those scenes can really be more impactful when he's playing against somebody who maybe isn't going for that kind of same energy too, and is and, and that allows that like dichotomy to come through a lot stronger. And I think that's when he's most effective and agree yeah, for that. I don't think it's like one of his best performances because there is a bit of inconsistency there, but there are times when it can be pretty effective. Like when we need him to dial in on the emotion of the story, connecting it back to family and his relationship with noodle. That's where he excels the most in my opinion. And he really does capture then the heart of the movie and what, um, is to Nadia's point, I, I think is what will resonate with most people when they watch this movie. And on that level, he succeeds. And so I'm not, I'm not down on the performance totally. I'm just more mixed on it than anything. And I admire once again that he tried something different because, you know, if he just was always playing the same type of character, you know, it's like after a while, it would just start to get stale and boring, right? You want to see actors take some risks. Uh, with that said, though, what do you guys think of his singing capabilities? Because it's so funny how this movie starts off and right away, the first opening, like, couple of seconds, he's singing a song. And I have to believe, too, from the marketing standpoint of this movie I don't know how many people are walking into this expecting uh, walking in, wonking in. I don't know. Um, I don't know how many people are expecting a musical when they come into this. Yeah, uh, you know, the marketing definitely seemed to disguise the fact that this was a musical. I I will agree with that. I thought he was a decent singer, sort of just like with everybody in the movie, to be honest. Like, I don't think anybody in this cast is, I would say, an amazing you know, vocal performer when it comes to to the singing. So I I think he, along with everybody else, like just did a fine job. I don't think these are like very complicated songs to pull off either. They kind of feel like they were written with that in mind. So yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't blown away by his talent as a as a singer here, but I thought for the material it it worked well enough. But with that said, then the the question I have on my mind is because of the way those songs are written, were there any songs that particularly stood out to you? Because that was a challenge for me throughout. I was um, listening to these songs and they're nice. They're lovely. They have that whimsical feeling to it. Like you said, Nadia earlier, but I was also thinking to myself, are any of these particularly memorable? And the only one I really could <laughs> put my finger on as being memorable after my first viewing of this was the, uh, uh, scrub, scrub. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that Chalamet vocally, it's, He's fine. It's nothing extraordinary. For me, it, it was more so like the construction of, of the sequences that was more memorable for me than the songs itself. 
Yeah. Um, like the, the a world of your own. Mm-hmm. That that performance and that it it stood out to me more so because of the sets and the physicality of the character as opposed to the vocal aspect to it. I agree with that, and I lay that at the feet of Paul King's direction mostly. Like, there's a lot of really nice clever editing choices in this that I really, really enjoy. I, I mean, just right from the very beginning when he zips down the line and the icicles pop off, uh, like that one was really, really cool. It like knocks the title of the film like off the screen as he comes down. And there's a few others throughout. Um, but also, too, like you said, highlighting the uh, production design, which that's another thing in this movie that I like. I was kind of like confused by at times. I was wondering why the production design what really wasn't grabbing me, and then I realized it's because maybe for budgetary reasons, so much of the movie is confined to this almost play like set of this town square, where it's not exactly uh, shouting at you detail production design. Look at how much work went into this. And instead, it feels more um, stripped down and minimal as a result. Um, I, I think the costumes, more so than anything, stood out to me a bit more than than that. Very much agree with that. I was, oh, I was actually kind of let down by the production design. And you know, Matt, I'm a huge fan of Nathan Crowley. Like, I I really do like his work generally. But yeah, I, yeah, I think that there weren't too many examples here to go kind of over the top. And I think the uh, the the set piece of World of Your Own is really the only time that I felt that. I, I did think that's the best use of production design in this movie, but it was yeah. really the only time that I felt it really kind of do something more uh, unique and creative. And for the most part, like the rest of the sets look fine, but they didn't really wow me as much as I, I wanted to. I agree that the costuming work, I think, is much more impressive than the production design. And I'm a little, a little disappointed to say that, being such a big Crowley fan. Yeah, no, completely agree on that front. I mean, there's some individual sets, I guess, that um, have that level of detail, but they're not shown off in a way that uh, continually wowed me throughout. Um, I would also say, too, that the story itself, I want to I want to I want to get into this without giving spoilers away, but I was also a little let down by how much of the quote unquote origin of Willy Wonka is actually unexplained. And we start off with him approaching this uh, European city on a ship, and he already has the chocolate. He already has, I don't, I guess, some form of magical powers. And it's like none of that is actually delved into in a way that was satisfying for me because that's what I felt like I was more so coming in to see. Not so much how did he build his giant factory. I mean, I knew that was going to be a part of the story, but I didn't realize that was going to be the whole story. Yeah, I feel like there's a balance that you can have in terms of what you want to reveal about his past and what you want to keep hidden. And I, I think that William Walker, just as a character, has worked better the less we know about him. You know, I, even as a defender of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I will admit that some of the weaker parts of that film are when we do get more backstory explicitly from, from him. And I, I think that this movie tries to balance that in some way, the like the stuff with his mom, while that is the emotional center of the movie, I, I don't know if it always worked for me, mostly because th- this whole like thing about him being illiterate, I thought was just a 
real damnation of his mom for not teaching him to read when he should have been <laughs> at, a, at an age when he probably should have read. It's not like she died when he was a baby. He should have known how to read by the time she she passed. But sure. So there's like things in his backstory that I don't necessarily think were effective for me in terms of connecting to that character. But at the same time, uh, the sort of broad strokes of this is where he kind of was at one point and we're sort of just beginning the story now. I, I didn't have such a big problem with that, but I do agree that there is a balance issue a little bit there that maybe could have been calibrated a little bit better. And I also wish there was more Sally Hawkins to go around in this movie. Well, don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree that I, I feel like the character was lacking a mystery to him. I, I was surprised that it began and we saw him right away. I was expecting more of a, I guess, I guess maybe more of a lead up to to him, especially considering it's an origin story. But that's the thing. It's not an origin story about him. It's an origin story of how he got his chocolate factory. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I guess that was not the movie I was I was expecting. I, I thought that was going to be a smaller piece of a grander story. Uh, but to Josh's point, I guess if you go into explaining the magic and how he's able to make chocolate as well as he does, then that does kind of rob the uh, aura of mystery and imagination. And then and, and thus that kind of also takes away what makes the character so special for a lot of people, I guess, then. Yeah, it's meant to be just, you know, very light and whimsical. And I do think that over-explaining would take away from that. So, yeah, th- that's why I don't have a huge problem with not knowing these large gaps. Like, I don't need to know how... Wonka has all these abilities to make, you know, impossible, impossibly good chocolate. Like it's, it's a fantasy. Like I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. You know, you want just enough to get a sense of like where the characters motivations are coming from and where the stakes are. And I think that for the most part, the movie does a decent job, but that it could do a little bit better. I, I think in terms of maybe the structure of things, but in their attempts to craft Wonka as a character here, I think for this material, it's a serviceable enough job. Now, I do need to call this out because I I do think the supporting cast in this movie really does help counterbalance my issues with Chalamet. A couple of shout outs here I want to give. Uh, Cal Elaine as Noodle. Uh, great breakthrough performance for her. I thought she held her own on screen extremely well. She's very young. She's only 14 years old. This is not her feature uh, film debut. She was in another film called The Day Shall Come uh, a few years ago. But I thought she was very effective here opposite uh, Chalamet. And I very much enjoyed their chemistry together. Good banter between them, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, their chemistry was really good. And I think they both tap into more of a grounded element as opposed to a lot of the characters that are surrounding them which are more more cartoonish right exactly and yeah. speaking of the cartoonish you know, i mean there's no one else better to do that sort of thing than keegan M- michael key who is an extremely animated actor um, i don't think i've can recall the last time i saw him in a role that didn't require him to be cartoonish like you said nadia but i think that he has found a way in mostly everything that he's done Keegan-Michael Key is one of those guys that you bring in to do that level of comedy. And I think he mostly excels at it here. The makeup work to make him, you know, larger as the film goes on because he's continuously eating all this chocolate. 
I think it works well for kids especially, and I think it's uh, pretty funny at times overall. I'm not saying that it's like, you know, great comedy or anything like that, but, you know, you hire him for a very, very specific role, and I think he does it to the best of his ability here. I would agree uh, for the most part. I I do think that... (laughs) I think that like the fat jokes the movie makes definitely feels like a roll doll sense of humor. And I can imagine like th- that's a joke that like, OK, it's sort of amusing the first time. But then as it goes on, I do think, you know, might overstay its welcome just a little bit. But you know what, though, like a four or five year old, they, they would think that was funny, you know? Yeah, yeah. And- and I do think that what compensates for that, maybe not the the actual humor working all that well, is the his performance. And yeah, we, I do always like seeing him playing a an animated character. Although I don't even think he is the most animated character in this movie. There, there's other people that really do feel like cartoons. But mm-hmm. like he has a really nice presence, and I always do like seeing him in films. It's so weird seeing him with the uh, side hair with the bald head. I'm I'm so used to seeing him with no hair at all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like uncanny valley there. Right, yeah. but yeah, like he said though, in terms of like other characters who maybe take it a step further than him, uh, I, I assume you're thinking of Olivia Coleman. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's playing a Paddington villain. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 100%. Yeah. I was like, okay, so this is basically like GPG rated Mrs. Lovett, essentially. <laughs> also, Patterson Joseph, I thought he was so entertaining as Slugworth. We got to get this guy in more movies. He's so good. I love his screen presence so freaking much. Yeah. And- and the thing also about him is that it is hard for me to actually take him seriously in in roles because I'm so used to seeing him on all of these British sitcoms that I would watch when I was younger. So it's like I can only see him from like Peep Show <laughs> and, and it's hard for me to take him seriously in any other role. But he does have such a great screen presence and he fits perfectly in this material. Like he absolutely knows the tone to go with with this over-the-top villain, but is over-the-top, like, just enough that it doesn't become silly either. Like, I I thought that he was maybe, like, one of... I mean, he absolutely is one of the best additions to this cast. I don't know if I'm going to say it's, like, my favorite performance, but he definitely is one that leaves a great impact with that villainy role that I just thought was perfect for this film. I'll go that far. I'll say he was my favorite performance in the movie, for sure. Like, he just struck the right balance of being menacing, but also having a theatricality to that performance that made him so entertaining to watch, but never going to a level to where it became unserious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was always still viewed not even not so much like as a like as a menacing threat, um, but like as a as a as a once again, through the eyes of like children that are watching this, he was a very effective bad guy, you know? Yeah, very mustache twirling. Yeah. Aspect to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but not enough that you couldn't take him seriously in this world either. Yeah, exactly. Right. Great balance. Yeah, what would you guys think of Tom Davis here uh, acting opposite Olivia Coleman? I, <laughs> I mean, I would say that that character maybe goes a little too far into the cartoonish realm for me. Like, it's very big and very broad. And it's supposed to be. I, I get it. I do. I do think that that balance, as I said, maybe tipped a little bit too far into the over-the-top caricature for me. Like, I think he has some fine moments, and there are scenes between him and Coleman that are very funny, but I think on his own, it was a little much for me. I mm. couldn't get over the fact that every time he opened his mouth, he sounded like an orc 
from the Lord of the Rings trilogy to me. <laughs> I just almost expected him to just be like, they are not for eating. <laughs> yeah, he's a big, a big brute. And like, right. I don't think there's much else to that, to that character. But as I said, I do think there are some very funny moments between him and Coleman. The whole like fake romance thing, at least at the beginning, I thought was actually pretty charming. Yeah, I think he works best when he's opposite her, when he's playing off of Coleman. Uh, agreed. And, and you know, we're talking a lot about tone here. There's other movies that we've reviewed on this podcast before that have attempted to achieve a similar tone such as this that haven't done so successfully. And a lot of the reason, I think, for that is because there'll usually be a clash in tone and it's not coming across in a way that is um, effective because of... You know, maybe there's um, a bit of this slapstick broad comedy, but then it also wants us to take it extremely seriously. I never felt like while watching this that this movie um, was trying to cater to an adult serious mindset. Um, It always seemed very squarely to be just directed at light family entertainment. And that was something that, in keeping along with that, like all these jokes that we're talking about, especially regarding Coleman and Davis, and then the stuff that Keegan Michael Key is doing, the over the top villainy of Arthur Slugworth, like all of this fits within the world that King and uh, Farnaby have created here for Wonka, I think. And this is what I meant earlier when I said nothing exactly felt ever out of place. Um, And nobody ever felt like they were giving, I think, a performance that was actively trying to steal the spotlight from everybody else. Like, everybody just seemed to be on the same level, you know? Even if you range a bit in terms of your – in your um, assessment of their performances. Yeah, it's very sweet and and endearing. I do think that, especially if you compare it to something like the Paddington movies, there just is a a cleverness – that's missing here. There is more of an emotional core that feels a, a bit more distant with, with this particular material. I think they definitely try to infuse that here, but it just doesn't feel like its ambitions are quite as high and it doesn't really get to that, that same level for me. So like the movie and, and I think what Paul King does with this material is what you would expect from him. And I think it is well done and I am wrapped up in the world that they are creating, but I do think it is missing a, a an extra ingredient to make it something more special. And I do think it comes down to a, a more over cleverness with its narrative and with the emotional center uh, with the arcs of some of these characters. Yeah, definitely agreed on that. Okay. So what I want to do now is I want to get over the final thoughts Uh, So is there anything that we didn't touch upon that you want to bring up here? We could start off first with Nadia. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. What did everybody think of Hugh Grant? Oh, Hugh Grant. (laughs) You know, I can never tell nowadays if he 
is enjoying himself, not enjoying himself. It's really, really tough to figure out. Um, Hugh Grant himself is fine here. He does exactly what is needed. He has the face of an Oompa Loompa. But my problem is not so much him. It is the visual effect itself. Um, I actually did not think that that was a good blend between the live action element of Chalamet interacting with him throughout. And there was something that was always kind of floating head off about the way that that character was rendered and shown on screen. And I I don't know. I, I wish there was another way. I don't know how they could have done it a little bit better. Maybe... I mean, I'm not I'm not a visual effects expert, but I know when something feels off and something definitely felt off visually about every time he was on screen for me. I think what would have worked better for me is if they had just chosen an original design for the Oompa Loompa. I, I did not like that it was such a direct reference to the Gene Wilder movie, and it felt out of place to me. It felt like it broke the reality of this new world that they were trying to create, which doesn't really look like any other, you know, uh, Willy Wonka adaptation we've seen so far, but just infusing a very clear direct reference to another movie did not sit well with me. It, like, broke the reality that I I was experiencing, and I think that ultimately is what led to me not really loving the design of of the visual effects of that character and also even Hugh Grant's performance it just really felt out of place to me and I didn't like it at all like I said it's really really tough to tell if like Hugh Grant is like actually giving a shit or if he's just doing stuff for the paycheck well it sounded like it was a paycheck if you want to believe in the interviews he's been doing lately. <laughs> I I definitely believe it for sure but you know <sighs> Then again, I also kind of felt like that that was perfectly fine for the character itself and the way it was written. I, I like the bit where he, uh, a very gullible Wonka, into whacking him over the head with the pan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very cartoon level logic, but very, very fun and charming for what it was. It just. Uh, every time he showed up, I was like, oh, God, we're going back to this. This is like the least interesting thing about this movie to me. No, you're right. It's definitely just got more of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the original about it. That's like, hey, remember this? And don't you guys love this? And mm-hmm. oh, he's going to start singing and dancing now. And even he seems to be like, oh, there I go. I'm going to be doing the <laughs> song and dance thing again. And it's like, I don't know. It just mm. it was a little ridiculous to me at times in the sense of. But then again, this whole movie is kind of ridiculous. So I don't know. Like, that's why I guess I didn't have so much of an issue with the tone and the way it was written. My, my issue is primarily more so the visual effect itself. Yeah. And I, I think on top of that, especially coming off of Hugh Grant's previous collaboration with King on Paddington two, like, I just don't think his presence was used very well throughout. Well, also too, I mean, the character I think is underwritten. Yeah. I mean, I know that they try to give like some sort of backstory to it and everything, but, uh, and, and dare I say, like, oh, maybe this is something that'll be explored in a future movie. I, I kind of hope not. But, you know, it, it almost see, it seems like it's maybe set up for something like that in the future at times. But, yeah. Anything else, Nadia? While I was a little disappointed by the production design, there was an aspect of it, like, watching these streets and storefronts and spaces transform into the kind of candy-coated, colorful sets born out of the character's mind and imagination. I thought that part of it was really neat, even though I was overall a little disappointed by the production design. I think that connection made between watching the world around him kind of 
blossom with his imagination was was kind of neat. Nadia? Yes. No daydreaming. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> what a ridiculous rule to have. <laughs> what was the penalty for it? Three? It was, I can't remember what it said. It was some fine, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like three sovereign or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also think there are elements of the movie, like, it, there was the glimmer of the 1971 Gene Wilder version that I felt at the end with the, obviously, the, the pure imagination. But the factory building set, that kind of reminded me of the 1971 version. Not as a means of, like, this movie trying to reach that level but more like a bridge to that to mm -hmm. that version yeah i think when they do pure imagination at the very end of the film and you're starting to see uh the factory itself come alive especially through oh my god no pun intended pure imagination um it i i i will admit it definitely captured something within me but what what kind of sucked me back out of it though was looking around and thinking to myself how much of this is green screen instead of practical sets, you know? And it just kind of like took me out of the, out of the moment when it should have been this, it should have been this climactic high point, you know, right before the credits roll. And unfortunately for me, I was like, ah, oh, okay, that's it. That's, that's, this is where we're ending. All right. Yeah. I, I actually found um, more of a high point earlier on in the movie when you kind of get the full circle of, um, Wonka discovering what the secret was to his mom's chocolate. I feel like that made it was surprising to me how much I was really invested in it because the movie, uh, you don't really get a really fully fleshed part of the mother son relationship. But at the same time, there is still an impact there that Sally Hawkins brings, even in her brief screen time. That kind of made me feel a little bit emotional, actually, which was surprising to me because I didn't really feel on board for the whole time of the movie but that scene where he discovers the secret on the back of the 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 bar that he's holding was that was that stood out to me yeah i really wish that the stuff between him and his mom connected with me more um it was really um actually noodle and her story that yeah. i found myself more drawn to than anything even though where that ends up playing uh playing how that ends up playing out where it ends up going is so predictable. <laughs> but I still found it to be uh, sweet and pretty lovely overall in the end. You know, but, and that's that's part of my issue, I think, too, with this movie and why I'm not so incredibly high on it is that I never had a moment while watching this where I thought that's a definite highlight. Oh, my gosh, I'm feeling euphoric right now. It was always very even for me throughout, but I was never... I was never put in a state of bliss like I was with uh, something like Paddington 2, for example. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't quite reach the kind of euphoric delight of the of the Paddington movies. That's for sure. No, but you could definitely pinpoint, you know, this uh, to that and say, OK, like I see Paul King. I see that voice coming through in the filmmaking, the overall presentation, um, which is going to be interesting to see moving forward for him if he's going to continue down this path of making these types of films, or if he's going to be doing anything different in the future, because this is what he's becoming known for. Yeah, it, it definitely, it does feel like Paul King's vision of Wonka. It is singular in that way. It's playful. And it, while it doesn't always land with every element for me, the moments that do work are, I think, 
largely thanks to his the consistency of of his vision and what he brings to it. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? I, I think I'm I think I'm good. Yeah. Okay. Josh Parm, how about you? Uh, yeah, just a few things uh, to bring up at the end. One of just a stray thought I had was whenever I look at Matthew Baton in this movie, who like plays one of the the chocolate lords, who's not Patterson Joseph or Matt Lucas, just the way that that actor looks and the way that he's styled, I wondered, did Paul King write this role for Ben Whishaw and he just wasn't available because he looks like Ben Whishaw mm. in this role? I always wondered that. I don't know if that's true. It's just the way that that actor looks and the way that he is styled in this movie very much looks like maybe that was supposed to be Ben Whishaw. They just couldn't get him. I wonder about that. <laughs> I wonder if uh, Ben Whishaw had a problem with gagging every time the word poor was said. <laughs> and that's why he turned it down. <laughs> I'll choose to believe he had just too much high uh, moral standing to, to take on that role. He chose to do passages instead, Josh. Okay, let's be yeah. grateful for that. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I'll take that trade. <laughs> I'm totally kidding, by the way. I have no idea what goes into Ben Whishaw's uh, choosing of roles for the record. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, like I said, it's just a, might not even be that he was ever considered. It's just the way that that character looked just looks like Ben Whishaw. And given that he's in the Paddington movies, I just wondered about that. It made me think of it. But also, too, I will take this moment to say Matt Lucas and Matthew uh, Bainton, like, I know we uh, gave praise to Patterson Joseph before, but I did think that the three of them together and the way that they all bounced off of each other was always very entertaining to watch. Yeah, and I think even sometimes Matt Lucas can be very hit or miss, you know, with his comedy, but I thought he worked very well here. I really liked their villain song where they're trying to, you know, bribe the the Keegan Michael Key character. I thought that yes. was a very fun yeah. fun moment. And I find that is pretty true with a lot of the songs here is that while the songs themselves may not be memorable, I think that they are crafted around really nice set pieces and the tones of them are really good so like that villain song has a lot of fun energy to it i think the uh you've never had chocolate like this you know the song itself may not be that great but witnessing you know wonka trying to sell his chocolate secretly in the city and these set pieces that they create to get him in and out of these situations like that was all very fun to witness the song itself that's built around eh, it's not like that great but just showing the execution of the presentation of that song. I, I think that's pretty consistent throughout this movie where the material itself may be weak, but the visual presentation of it is very engaging. Now, what we needed to do is we needed to resurrect the ghost of Robin Williams so that he could say, you ain't ever had chocolate quite like <laughs> yeah, this. <laughs> very much has that tone in, in live action. It does though. It has like a bouncy fun quality to it that, um, like I said, even though it doesn't have a, a like a hummable theme that, Stands out to me. Uh, like, uh, I mean, A World of Your Own, I guess I sort of remember mostly because of um, Chalamet just having to hold those long notes in the chorus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I kept thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I feel like he's straining to, like, hit those notes or or at least hold them. Uh, because, like, you know, the role doesn't, like, require anything strenuous of him vocally, I don't think. But I think he... I think he shows his limits in terms of what notes he can hit, how high he can go, how long he can hold something. And then, of course, I, I got to say it again. Scrub, scrub. <laughs> that definitely stands out in my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, as I said, the, it seems like more so the the set pieces that the songs are attached to are more memorable than the songs themselves. But, you know, yes. for the most part, like it, it was fine. 
It is also strange that Rowan Atkinson is in this movie and is like given barely anything to do. You would kind of expect yeah. more mm-hmm. from from him. Although he is involved in some nice gags in the movie. I do love the what is it like the the chocolate addicted monks that I, I <laughs> that was such a weird detail, but it kind of worked for me because it was so absurd and the fact that it's like actually in the score to the film was I don't know that it was weird and, and strange. The, wait, the monk chanting, you mean? Yeah, the chanting. Yeah. I, I thought that was that was a, a fun detail. I also really liked how – I don't know if this was meant to be like a political commentary at all, but the fact that the pulpit of the church has a direct phone line to the rich businessman I thought was like – I said, I don't know if that was supposed to be a political commentary, but if it was maybe a way to sneak that into a kid's film, I – would consider that to be pretty clever commentary there. Like I said, I don't know how much credit to give them, but just looking at it, it's like, no, oh, that's that's sort of an interesting thing to sneak into a kid's movie if that's what you were going for. <laughs> no, I, I think it is deliberate, actually. But at the same time, it's like, how do you put that into a movie and then actually comment on it in a way that's substantial? You, you don't. You just simply put it there, and maybe you hope that the Warner Brothers executives don't notice and question it. <laughs> It, yeah, it, exactly. But like, like I said, it's like a very small gag, but I did enjoy it. Uh, and then I think the only other thing that I would want, want, want to bring up is, you know, Simon Farnaby, who's the co-writer of this movie and actually the co-writer of the Paddington movies, too. He has a small role in this as that zoo security guard, which I guess he just plays security guards because he's also the one in the Paddington movies, yeah. too, <laughs> which I love him in the Paddington films. I think that security guard in those movies are just fantastic. And it's a very similar thing here. Not quite as effective, but and I won't spoil it, but I did really love the payoff that they used for that character. And I thought that was very, very sweet and charming. I thought so, too. I agree. Anything else? No, that's about it. Okay. I... Really loved the use of the pure imagination tune over the opening logos. Although I have to ask, what is going on with the Warner Brothers logo lately? Seem to be going back. They had that very ugly modern one, and now it seems like they're back to the original one, but it looks a little bit more refined like the new one. Well, I hope they consistently go back. I hate that that new one. It looks so ugly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I like the opening song, Six Silver Sovereigns. He's got his pocket. He's got a half full of dreams. And uh, I really, really like that introductory song to the character overall. This movie reaffirmed the importance of reading the fine print in a contract, people. Yeah. Well, you got to know how to read first. Oh, well, I mean, you know. <laughs> I, 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 it's amazing to me that that became like a, such a huge talking point after this movie's uh, official reviews dropped. So much commentary on an illiterate Wonka. And I was like, I don't know if that's the thing we're supposed to be, like, really latching on to that much. But, I mean, it's it's not a major part of, like, the story or his character. But it, it is it is talked about a lot more than I was expecting to. And as I said previously, it just is like, it really unintentionally makes his mom look very bad. Because... <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. not a baby when she dies. And it's like, he should have been at an age where she should have taught him to read. I don't know what she was doing slacking on that with him. I might uh, include double huh. That's not nothing into my vocabulary moving forward because uh, I just really like that moment where it's like, huh? You know, it's like, okay. And then they do a huh again and it's like, ah, oh, wait, that's not nothing. That's 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 something you got going on there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's clever wordplay 
there for sure. Going back to the uh, chanting monks again, I just love uh, when Keegan Michael Key enters the church and he says, "You sound great, fathers. Keep it up." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the part where uh, Rowan Atkinson's running through the church and he says, "Judgment has come in a most oh, yeah. unexpected form," <laughs> and it's a giant giraffe. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> In a most unexpected form. <laughs> that might have gotten my my best laugh out of the entire movie, honestly. Yeah, it's a good line. More. Yeah. <sighs> okay, I am going to point some of this out. This is another reason why I think Chalamet just couldn't work for me fully. I think some of the things that he's asked to say in the film are very ridiculous. Uh, as are a lot of the lines that people are expected to say in this, but... When you take a line reading from Coleman or uh, Joseph Patterson or whoever it is in this movie and you, I'm sorry, Patterson, Joseph, and you put it up against Chalamet saying, if you want to make her sigh, show her some thigh. It's like, come on. <laughs> like, really? Like, what? Like, I, I just can't take him seriously, like saying stuff like that. And I know that it's not meant to be taken seriously, but I can't even take it on that comedic level because there's just something very unusual about like some of his line deliveries in this. You know, I mean, I remember when the trailer dropped and I was wondering if it would work better here in context. But like, I'm making chocolate, of course. It's just it's something. It feels very try hard to me. It, it feels very much more like the theater kid energy that has always been there with Chalamet, just never expressed quite so, I think, overtly as it does in this film. And I think that that's always going to be a very divisive energy that you put out into the world. Like some people really vibe with it and some people just don't. And I, I think that there are times where it works with this material and then sometimes when, yeah, it feels a little awkward to me. And I don't think he has it nailed down quite right. And it when you do compare him to some other people in the cast, it does feel a little bit more of a, of a problem. The scene where Keegan-Michael Key has to rough up Wonka at the, at the um, what was it, the fountain? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I especially liked the way Chalamet and Key bounced off each other in that scene. I thought that was pretty effective and done really well. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen them in interviews together. They just look like they're having so much fun in each other's company. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There was one moment, too, where Chalamet, I think, maybe I misheard this, but there's a moment where it feels like he says binga instead of bingo at one point. Yes. Right? Or did I just like misremember that? I I, I I wrote down binga instead of bingo here and I was like, what was that? Yeah, I just I can't remember where exactly it happens in the movie, but I do remember hearing him say that. <laughs> yes. And he I think just continuously throughout there are these moments where all of a sudden it's like the performance is really big and he's like shouting. Or he does like something very unusual. Um there's a moment where, like, I remember when he's, like, addressing the crowd and he does, um, like, this emphasis where it's, like, all of a sudden it's, like, the the energy is, like, going through his body and he's, like, really? And it's, like, dude, why are you emphasizing, like, the line like that, you know? It's, like, just very, I don't know. It didn't fully work for me. I don't want to beat him up too much because I really, really do like the guy and I admire his work a lot. So I'm done. I'm done beating him up here. Hugh Grant telling us the epilogue over the credits. It's fine. It got me to stay through the credits. <laughs> I'll give them that. But overall, 
I think that this movie is a step down from the Paddington films for me. And yet, despite all the issues I have with it, I still was won over in the end by it. Like, I don't think anything is outright terrible. Um, And I think if I just view it through the lens of this is a family film that is meant to play over the holidays. It's meant to work for a broad range of people, young and old. I would say this film is mostly successful. So for that reason, I'm giving it a light, but uh, yeah, I'll I'll say generous 7 out of 10. Nadia, what about you? Yeah, I I think it is delightful to watch. It took me a little bit to really gel with it, but overall I would say 7 out of 10. Josh? I am also going to be a 7 out of 10 with this one. It was good. I had a good, you know, a nice time with it, but nothing I would say is either amazing at the end of the day. Welp, do we think that the costume design of this movie is amazing enough to make an impression with Academy voters? It is now currently a Critics' Choice nominee for Best Costume Design. Do we think that that's something that could sneak in here? Maybe. Lindy Hemming is a previous Oscar winner, so she is, you would imagine, well-known with the branch. I also do think, too, this is exactly the type of work that the branch tends to go for. But the problem is that this movie doesn't have a lot of heat outside of um, the costuming. And we're still waiting to see if any of the uh, songs end up making the shortlist, which we'll find out later this week. Yeah, although... They basically have submitted a world of your own, right, as the the main one? Or was there another song they had submitted to? If my memory serves me correctly, I think it is a world of your own. Yeah, yeah. And I don't I don't think that's getting nominated, even if it does make the short list. Uh, I think it's really probably just going to be costume design if it gets anything. Which, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was also a costume design nominee. But that's the thing, too. How much of this is reliant on... You know, like the iconic Willy Wonka outfit, and will they be willing to go for that, you know, given that that is something that's very familiar to audiences, you know? It's hard to say. I It's also just hard with costumes because, as I have mentioned previously, that is one of those branches that really – you know, marches at the beat of their own drum and they don't, they can make some very weird choices that you would never expect, but they just have a sensibility of judging the work. So I, I don't know. I I think that that's the best chance it has at the Oscars. It's not guaranteed at all, but that is a, a rather idiosyncratic branch and you can never really predict what direction they're going to go in. Uh, Yeah. I think outside of that song costumes, there's nothing else here. I like, like you, Josh, I really wish this could have been a production design uh, Mm. contender, but I I really do too. Cause I, I, as I said, I love Nathan Crowley. I, I love to see his work, but I was, I don't think there's really a lot of chances to let the production design really be so, so noteworthy outside of a world of your own, to, to be honest. And I don't think it's really, it really has that much of a chance of getting nominated there. Do you have this being nominated for costume design as of today? Uh, I believe it is in my five, but like at number five. Yeah, I have it in as well. Um, I am a little nervous because I keep going back and forth uh, between whether or not to nominate more Best Picture nominees because between this and I would say Napoleon, they're probably the two non-Best Picture nominees I could see getting in here, but then I find myself in a in a 
in a dilemma of do I include both? Do I include one? If it is one, which one? That's that's my problem right now. Yeah. Although if you're looking for something that isn't always going to be a Best Picture nominee, I think costume design is the category that normally goes for that. Yeah. What about you, Nadia? Do you think it's getting in for costumes? I I don't have it getting in for anything at the moment. Ooh, okay. But at the same time, I do feel like it's a movie that I can't see it going empty-handed with no nominations. So I I agree with Josh. I think that costume design is the best. I think it's the movie's best chance at a nomination. I just don't have it getting in at the moment. I'll tell you what, if because I think we all agree it's going to get in with the Costume Designers Guild, but if it also gets a BAFTA nomination, I'll predict it like more firmly then at that point. Yeah. Like there would be no reason for me not to include it at that point. Yeah. It would be very deserving work because I do really like the costumes in it. Yeah. Those uh, colorful suits of the uh, what, what, what were they called in this? Like the Chocolate Mafia or something? <laughs> Chocolatiers? <laughs> I don't remember what oh, the official no. yeah. name was. Oh, the, the chocolate cartel? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. A chocolate cartel. <laughs> so silly. Uh, that's it. That's the note to end on right there. <laughs> Although, I got to give credit to this. Uh, this is my last thing I want to say really quick. Um, I saw this on Reddit uh, earlier this morning, and I do want to call attention to this. I thought this was really cool. The one coin that Wonka throws up in the air to land in his pocket in the opening song and it goes down the drain. Somebody pointed out that that is the coin that Charlie then finds in the sewer that he uses to buy the golden ticket. And I was like, that's really clever, but I don't know. (laughs) It might be a stretch. (laughs) Uh, I think it's a bit of a stretch, but you know, it's fine. Let's roll with it. I mean, clearly this movie has a kinship with the 1971 film very overtly. Do you think it could, I don't know, have any kind of a lasting legacy to measure up to that? Or I don't Uh, think like, I have a hard time seeing this being as loved as that film, say 20 years from now, you know? No, I think it'll be really hard to get to that level of what Gene Wilder did. First of all, and just that whole production. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Wonka on the next Best Picture podcast. Nadia Dalamante, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at NadReviews and on Instagram at NadiaReviews. And Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at JR Parham. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.